Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams' is right. Williams going to throw. One-on-one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth for the possible win. Snap. Spot. Kick away. High enough. Long enough. Tough Blog Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. We are back to recap the game against Virginia, and uh, then we've got some. Uh, we're going to look at the rest of the schedule, and then we've got an extremely important conversation to get into. But um, we have to start by. First of all, uh, I wanted to say that one of our guys that listens to our podcast and sits in our section in 220, Stevie D's, our boy, uh, he uh, was very complimentary of the last podcast in which we were both sick. Um, we are not both sick today. Uh, I would say what? I'm probably around uh, I'm probably around 90%. You're still hanging in around 85 because for some reason yours is just lingering. You've got, uh, you've got that lingering turf toe that just won't go away. Yeah, this uh, just hanging on. So. This cough has been something else. This is probably the best I've felt today. Oh, there we go. Probably because I haven't talked, and now we're about to talk. Uh, because college basketball is better. That's a lot of it. That's part of it. That's my my it. life immediately gets better the first the first night of the college basketball season. That's how I feel about college football every year. Um, but I'm about to sit here and do two podcasts, and then I have, to, I have to go on radio tomorrow. So I'll probably be back to about 65% by Thursday, but something about me... You know, I'm just a warrior. I fight. I fight through the injuries, the sickness. We tore, played the torn ACL back in high school. Ah. Now I come on air with a cough and uh, and do it. But so you know, we're, we're going to list you for questionable as next yes. week. Yes, well, I mean, percent. Um, we don't know if we want to roll them out uh, under 100. percent So we will have uh, we will have our backup ready to go. Uh, he will be warming up on the sidelines just in case. Um, we're going to send him through practice, and then we're going to see how he does. It so, wouldn't uh, shock me because, you know, when I was gone, the one week where I was literally almost dying, and then I come back, you made it out like it's my triumphant return, blah, blah, blah. Well, I secretly know that you'd rather have Jacob Turner as your co-host every day anyway. It's okay. Are you expecting me to say no? Because uh, I can't do my boy Jacob like that. Yeah, I do. Jacob um, came in and performed very well. I have 12 a, years. He's had a about a year. switch. No, I would say it was more like, uh, like, like a, a, a Marquise to Trubisky. Rather smooth transition. Things worked out really well. It's all okay. I, I gave him a few pointers, but anyway, oh, here we go. Do want to want to thank Stevie A for listening, and then B for giving us some uh, some friendly uh, feedback, and then C, thanks for being a great fan in Keenan. We love we love your attendance. You're you're always. Well, he's now part of the group. Yeah, I mean, Steve, around for yeah, we, you he know, has we, asked us to either keep our seats where we are now or move with him if he was to move. So we will uh, we will be consulting with him about where we will sit next year. Although I said that I do like our section because we can yell and stand the whole game and generally not get yelled at. Right. So we do like that. Two, uh, 220 is a great section. We also got some people that listen down in 219. Uh, our boy Tar Nation down there listens. Uh, 
I know I think there's a, a couple other people that were down there that listen as well. So, yeah, no, we got we got our little upper section fan group that we got there. We really appreciate you guys for uh, for listening to the podcast as always. It'll be a really interesting one. Um, you know, we'll start with, with the game the other night. Um, because I don't want to get into the passionate topic just yet. I think that's uh, that's, and we're get, we got a backstory too about you fighting. So we're not fighting, but get, getting into a disagreement with some of the fans. Uh, so that's that's going to be extremely interesting. But let's start with the game the other night against Virginia. Um, I mean, th- this was a very to me like I don't know if it was because I was in the car for set like nine hours that day, but it just felt like a weird overall game because, like, we were not expecting this at all. We were not expecting a lot of points. We were not expecting a lot of yards. We thought, okay, two, a defensive team in Virginia, a team in Carolina that when they played their best has played well defensively, and on a cold night, okay, they'll probably, you know, it'll be low scoring, you know, just take care of the football, run it well, you'll be fine. That was not at all what we saw. On Saturday night. Yeah, no, you got, or not, we got a shootout that nobody, and when I say nobody, had coming. Us two on this podcast didn't foresee it coming. Right. Jones Angel, the voice of the Tar Heels, did not foresee it coming. The people that work on college game day, you, you ask any college football expert, they did not see 38-31 Saturday night. It felt like a 24-17 kind of game going in. Because that's how Virginia A likes to play. And I feel like Carolina's going to have to win that kind of game if they want to win the Coastal. Beat Virginia at their own game. Yeah. And we got a shootout, which Carolina, oddly enough, is not built to win right now. And that's looking at the numbers. You lost to Appalachian State 34-31. to You lost to Virginia Tech 43-41. Yep. And you lost to Virginia now 38-31. So they're not, as much as we want to play offense like Oklahoma, and this offense at times... Has shown the ability to he score it's up there as well. Yeah, an offense too. Yeah, they, they they've shown the ability to, to to move the ball and score the ball. Defensively, we're not we're not capable of, of winning a kind of game like that. We need the defense to play well. Yeah, once we start once we start bleeding, it's it, we we can't stop it. That that seemed to be the problem. And, in and most of those games, I think the thing that came that was the most discouraging thing. And by the way, I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm I was. Glad to wake up Sunday and be still mad at the world. But I haven't been mad after a Carolina football loss in a world on a Sunday in about three years. So that kind of felt good that, okay, that kind of tells you that, you know, the, you know there's something to be excited about this program. You were expected to win the game because that that was the thing the last two years was like, okay, well, we don't expect to win. Yeah, expect and to what win. I mean also, I mean, it was just one of those games that Carolina – dominated in some areas and, and should have won. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you were playing for a lot. A lot was on the line Saturday night. Yep. And then you and it, you had it at home. You got a night game, so you got a, you got a lively environment. You got everything you could ask for, and you still couldn't deliver. So, it, it you know, it felt it felt kind of cool to wake up on Sunday, and I was still, I was still mad. Like, I woke yeah, up, yeah. and I, you know, enjoyed my NFL Sunday. Very, very strange, yeah. Yeah, no, it, it's right. strange. It's still, very weird. But, you know, you get what I'm getting at. But, oh, no, you're right. You're the right. The thing that I got most discouraged by on Saturday, and, and even baffled, was how badly outcoached Jay Bateman got. And the lack of adjustments that he, A, made, and then B, how unsuccessful he was at the adjustments that he's made. Because this defense didn't have a pulse from the second quarter on. Virginia and Bryce Perkins in general was able to do whatever they wanted. It's a really good thing this secondary is getting retooled in this next year. Because you can see why Mac Brown and the, the staff has put an emphasis on that position group. Mm-hmm. You brought in two transfers. They've been active there recruiting. Because they're... Well, not a lot of depth with the injuries, but the guys behind them probably there's, don't. There's a talent. There's they, a talent they probably difference. don't meet the standard That's that Mac Brown wants them to meet to play for him. Yeah, I, I hate to say it. I, I think you're right. I mean, that was the biggest thing that that you know kind of scared me. And I think that's why it's tough to really be so hard on on Jay Bateman for getting out coached. Um, now, I mean, look, you, you got to hand it to to Virginia. They came out and made the adjustment they needed to make at halftime because that that third quarter was the worst third quarter of defense that I have seen under this staff. That was horrific. Um, I mean, they they racked up 259 yards of total offense and scored 21 points in a quarter. Uh, That's not good, no no matter who you are. 
Um, but look, at the same time, that doesn't mean that we're saying, okay, Jay Bateman, well, this was all for nothing. No. No, that, that's not at all what we're saying. Okay, Jay Bateman is still a great defensive mind. We wouldn't have beaten Duke if he wasn't a great defensive mind. This is a guy that, you know, I was talking with our guy Stevie and even telling my dad a little bit who went to the game with me on Saturday night. This is That's, that's probably our future head coach. We're being real honest. That's probably the favorite right now to be our future head coach. And there's a reason to keep him around. But, I mean, right now, I mean, he's working with a unit that's just that's just beat to all hell right now. I mean, this, this unit is just beat up. I mean, I know, look, they got Trey Morrison back. They got Miles Wolfel. Trey Morrison, at this point, and this was brought up the other day by Zach Hubbard, and this was something that I was thinking as well. Zach Hubbard, who does some recruiting stuff here for us at the Hilltop Block, he said right out, is it time to just admit that Trey Morrison was better in the nickel than he is on the outside? Yeah, I know. Right. I, I, I think he's spot on with that. I, I think we felt like that last year was, you know, when he was in the nickel. He was phenomenal the whole year in the nickel. And I felt like that early in the year, really outside of the Miami game. Because he played really well against Miami. But after that, really, that game against Wake Forest was, was the one that kind of woke us up and said, okay, this is a guy that if we put him back in the nickel, I think he'll be fine. And next year we'll have the ability to do that because Patrice Renee is back, and then you get to pick from whoever you want to put out there at that other corner spot. To me, I, I think it's Storm Duck. He didn't have a great night the other night against Virginia, but to me he still looks like the most complete corner out of the rest of the guys that are there, mainly because we just don't know a whole lot about Bryce Watts or Kyler McMichael. we got to find out when they step on the field as transfers what they're all about. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I think there's some legitimate concerns with the secondary. And, look, you know, I, th- I thought Virginia did a good job of taking advantage of something that Miami did a good job of early in the year, which was getting the ball out quickly in space against the zone defense. They did a great job against that. But the other thing is is the guys on the outside that were matched up man-to-man, you, you know, it, I love that these guys are in, in great position. And that was something that Jay Bateman talked about earlier in the week, looking back on the Duke game. You know, he said, look, DeAndre Hollins and Greg Ross, they were in the right spots. They just couldn't make plays on the ball. I mean, I get that, but after a while, you've got to be able to make plays on the football. You can be in space all you want. That, that's great. I like that they're, that they're where they're supposed to be at their, at that time. But they have got to be able to make plays on this football and not let a guy in Terrell Janna, who, I'm going to be really honest, hadn't done anything the whole season, really, for Virginia, go off and have just a ridiculous game against them. Yeah, he, he had season-high marks at halftime. He was killing it. I and mean, they could not stop. Every time they went to him, they found a way. I mean, he, he found a way to get 12, 15 yards. It was just easy. And everything that was thrown his way... You know, the guys, even if they were there, they just couldn't make plays on the football. You know, and that's something that, you know, you, you talked about it last week, and, and I agree. That's just something that Dre Bly's got to work on. And look, right now, I mean, here's the thing. I'm not really being overly critical with him because, dude, every time that you're trying to show a new guy something, you know, how we're supposed to do things, he gets injured and you got to show the next guy how to do it. So, I mean, you know, I understand, you know, he's having to adjust on the fly. First year as, as a position coach at the college level, that's difficult. That's as difficult as it comes. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's tough to be overly critical. But, I mean, at this point, you know, that secondary seems to be the biggest thing that's, that's going to hold these guys back. Yeah, well, for this year, because we all right. think going into next year, they're going to be deeper. That'll be the strength of the whole this team, possibly, defense. you know? I, I think the problem why we see the guys struggle making plays uh, on the ball is they're so scared to get that flag thrown for pass interference. And I get that, because pass interference in, in, in college football and, and what any level of football is a disaster. We, we all know that. But at some point, I don't give a damn if I get a flag. Right. If if you're actively trying to make plays, well, see, and I and and, and, and that's right. where they just gotta just play. It disappeared against Virginia, whereas in the game against Duke, it kind of seemed like they were playing with that. The only thing we were asking was turn your head around. Yes. But in the game against Duke, oh, they didn't. They they were they were locked in. They would make contact. In this game, it seemed like okay, they knew we got away with a lot of stuff in that Duke game for the first three and a half quarters. They weren't calling a lot. Which I thought was great. I thought the referees in, in that game did a good job of making sure that both sides 
were, you know, receiving the same types of calls when it came to guys battling for the football. Both sides, they were letting it go, just play. But against Virginia, I think they knew, okay, they're going to call a little bit more. This is a different crew. And, you know, yeah, maybe maybe that's part of it. I also think, and look, this is, you know, I know people are probably going to get pretty angry about this. Maybe these guys just aren't really talented enough to make those, to be these man cover corners. Not everybody is a man cover corner. That's, it, it, it takes a special type of corner to be a guy that is that good in man cover. Yeah, and a lot of those guys, you got to remember, under Papuchis, it was very zone heavy. So a lot of those guys that are recruited on the roster from prior staffs, I mean, they're 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 zone they're they're zone cover guys. They're not guys that have really been familiar with being man guys their whole career. Yeah, and look, you know, we yeah. know we, we know the guys on on the roster that aren't man corners, Greg Ross. Greg used to play safety, at uh, so that he's he's in a completely different world. Um, yes. H- Hollins really struggled the other night. Another guy that really wasn't uh, he was a zone cover guy at high in high school wasn't a man cover guy. So it, it'll be interesting yeah. to see what, what the staff you know the bye week comes at a good time, right? Because you you get a chance to kind of evaluate these guys mm-hmm. and be a little bit more, I guess, coachy. I don't even know if that's even a word. But they they can kind of coach a little bit more this week because you've got a little bit healthier. But you also got a week where you there's can, a teaching week. Yeah, you can. Yeah, and, and so you can you can put a put in a couple of things that you haven't put in, but also refine the things that you that you're just been kind of going with the fly because there has been injuries and whatnot in the secondary. Right. And it'll give us a chance for guys like Storm Duck to get fully healthy again, Trey Morrison to get a little more healthy, as well as Miles Wolfolk. So I, I mean that should definitely help you. Am I the only one that is also wondering? What what happened to Don Chapman? He played very well in the game against Georgia Tech. I mean, he was hit and miss. There were some times where he got beat over the top, but that's kind of what you expect out of a true freshman that was, you know, making his first start of, the, of his entire career. We just we haven't seen him in a couple of weeks now. Is he injured? Like, well, what is what is happening with him? Because he was a guy that played. You know, he, he played a little bit of safety in high school. He also played corner. He could be a guy. He played man corner a lot in high school as well. He could be an option on the outside. <laughs> and we, just, we, we haven't seen him the last couple of weeks. I, I'm, I'm kind of interested about that. Um, one of the big reasons that the secondary struggled, though, is because the defensive line is just not getting the job done. These last two weeks, we've seen it. The only way that Carolina is getting pressure on the quarterback is design blitzes. That's it. There is no initial pressure from your defensive line at this point. It's completely gone. And, uh, I mean, at this point, I, I just don't understand it because there's so much talent down there. Um, you know, I, I'm not looking to point fingers at Tim Cross or anything like that. I mean, look, early in the year, I thought the unit was great. Um, but, I mean, right now, you know, we asked this unit when all of these injuries occurred during that first bye week, can you step up? And get the job done. And really, to this point, they have it. Yeah, I wrote about it in my trench report uh, article this week. Go check that out on a heeltoughblog.com. The announcers never, hardly ever called Aaron Crawford and Jason Strobridge's name Saturday night. That's a problem because they are when they're active and when they're being productive. They're probably your two best defenders on the on the team. Maybe. Unless Patrice Renee's on the team, maybe you have a debate. And also, the defense is so much better. You you look back at their activity against Clemson and how it throwed all one of the best offenses in the country out of rhythm for a whole day. And they just Aaron Crawford, I think, was in the backfield for like maybe one or two plays. Shrewbridge was nowhere to be well, seen. He, okay, so and, Crawford graded out well in run defense, and and this is the biggest thing also about Crawford. What he did early in the year was was freakish. He look at how big he is as a nose tackle now because he had to put on a little more weight to be in the middle of this three four base scheme. You know, of course, you could debate on what their actual base scheme is. So the fact that he was also getting in and putting pressure on the quarterback is phenomenal. To this point, I'm not really overly concerned about Crawford. What in terms of this game, the one that concerned me the most was Strobridge, and the other thing is, is really the, the two guys on the edge. Alan Cater, who I think has, has shown some improvement at times. He's been getting more consistent pressure. He just can't finish. And then Tamone Fox is once again 
kind of gone back into his shell where he's kind of disappeared again. Yeah. Those are the two biggest concerns. There is no edge rushing pressure. And this is where next year getting Dez Evans, I think, is going to help this team immensely. I mean, that's my biggest concern right now. As a guy that, you know, writes the trench report, is that where you're more concerned with is on the outsides, the edge rushers, as opposed to the interior guys? Yeah, because, you know, interiorly they, they do okay. They've improved dramatically in the run game, which is right. a big reason why this team has had the four and five year it's had is because they've been able to contain teams running the football. It's not good when you know the only way you're going to blitz or get pressure on the quarterback is if you send Chaz Surratt, Jeremiah Gimmel, whoever, mm-hmm. and you know the situation you have with the secondary. So the second you send that extra man or two, you're already putting a secondary that you don't have a lot of trust in and even a, a, a tougher spot and asking them to make uh, even more plays. And that's the problem. We saw Timon Fox against Miami really be an animal, three and a half sacks that night. And since then, it's been spotty. He's got – and, look, he's still he's still a fairly – was he a sophomore? So he's a – or no, he's a, ju- no, he's a junior. Timon is okay. a senior, buddy. He's a senior. He's a God, senior. he's grown up on me yeah. really fast. Yeah. So – Yep. Um, God, I'm old. But, so, you know, consistently – that Georgia game, man. That was it. Yep. You know, consistently hasn't been there this year, which has been discouraging. That, that's kind of been throughout his career. And, he's and, a spotty guy, but, if, if you know, I, I think he's he's effective in, in a certain role. Like, I think it, it, he could have an NFL career if he because he can tackle in space and he's an athlete, but he's going to be a guy that's going to need to rotate in, and that's fine. But right now at Carolina, we need him to be a little bit more than that with the fact that we just don't have that dominant pass rusher. If we had that dominant guy off the edge, we'd be fine. We'd be fine. We wouldn't need his production as much. But right now, he's our main guy, and we just, we're just we not getting yeah, this, this Unfortunate. This defense is going to be what Jay Bateman wants it to be, mm-hmm. what he envisioned when he took the job here, and what, and what we as fans want it to be when they can get to the quarterback with three instead of five or six. Right and and look that's that's a you know that's probably every team's dream is to get there with your base front three well, because or four. then you know you get to help out your secondary by dropping your guys into coverage your more athletic guys and see that's what hurts because you know most of the time whenever you're blitzing Chad Surratt is your main blitzing linebacker and that leaves Jeremiah Gemmel as the guy that has to drop back and usually cover one on one we saw he struggled the other night against. The Virginia tight end Will Crowley, who's athletic. I mean, look, that's that's the thing about it is like, you know, you're you're having to give up help in the secondary in order to put pressure on the quarterback, and you know that's that's where you you want to see this unit step up when this secondary needs help and coverage. You guys have to step up and get to the quarterback. So I mean, you know, who, who knows? I think it'll get better, like you said. I mean, look. Look at the law defensive line class that we're bringing in. I mean, three of your best players in the whole class are going to be on the defensive line or at, at that outside linebacker position. So I think, yeah, you know, it's it's definitely going to get better. It's just right now, you know, this final three game stretch of the year. If we want to make a bowl game, in order for this defense to be successful and not have to turn these into track meets, we're, we're going to need the defensive line to start stepping up. Yeah, it's it's part of it. Um, I, I and I wrote about that this past week. Because it was probably the most discouraging effort I've seen all year long. Right. And I would agree with that. And to I'm some degree, it's good that it took us to game nine for me to kind of be like, okay, did Well, and, okay, the other thing is you got to give credit to Virginia as well. Yeah. Their, well, their offensive line didn't just walk out there and say, okay, you know, we didn't, we're not going to do anything and see if Carolina can shoot themselves in the foot. No, their, their offensive line had a good day. And, but and still. And I also talked about this when we previewed the Virginia game and we, pre- and it, we gave our predictions. And I, I, I took the, you know... Uh, Veteran experience. Well, I, I, I picked Virginia to win the game because I think the game meant more to them right now. Oh, yeah. We were that we were definitely debating whether or not to just uh, bring in Jacob Turner after that. Uh, there, was yeah. a, there, there was a riot. But, but you know, because you know, Virginia entered the year with a lot of expectation. Right. They come in with a gimpy 5-3 and three record. Haven't really lived up to the expectation they were supposed to have. And I and that's why I picked them to win. I thought I thought they would they would play their their best game they've played all year, and they probably didn't do that because their defense gave them all. Not defensively. This was an offense that, yes. that averaged twenty points on the road, 
let almost 100 yards less per game on the road. They put up 38 points, and I don't even want to know how many yards they put up. Oh, it was like near. It was nearly 500. So, so you uh, you could tell just from their execution that they they knew what this game meant, and for what you know, for Carolina in the long run, I think Carolina sh- uh, set up a lot better than Virginia to, to enjoy success. It oh, was I just, agree with that. It was just in the shortcoming. Like Carolina's overachieving in a lot of people's eyes, and and so I just thought Virginia was going to be. I'm not going to say more prepared is going to make our coach staff sound bad. I just thought there'd be more focused and, 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 and make more plays. be a little plays. more motivation. Yeah, for and, and, and that certainly happened. Bryce Perkins, thank God you're a senior because you've killed us your two years that you've been in. Uh, is, he, is he not like – was his performance not like reminiscent of Daniel Jones's last year at Duke like where we felt like, okay, the rest of the, 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 rest of the game, we pretty much outplayed them except for containing him because yeah. he just went nuts. I mean – there was no stopping him. Um, and, I mean, you know, look, the, the 65-yard touchdown run, that was the one where I was I was like, oh, gosh. that To me, that was the first sign that this defense was falling apart. But that, I mean, to me, that reminded me of that run that Jones had last year against us where we were just like, how is he doing this to us? Like, how are we not stopping this? But, um, you know, if, yeah, uh, the good news is we don't have to see him anymore. He will graduate um, you know, and, and, and I'm with you. I think in the long run because, you know, Virginia, I mean, it, it, they're just – they're not a great recruiting team. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it stings. I still think, you know, Carolina is going to start to sort of turn that series back in their direction, I think, over the next couple of years. Um, but the biggest thing is, is I mean, look, you know, the, the defense struggled. The offense didn't. The offense was great. Uh, Sam Howell recovered with probably, I mean, I don't know. Like, it's tough to debate what his best game of the season was. Um, I mean, I, I would probably say this wasn't just because he was 15 at 29, so his completion percentage was still pretty low. Um, but he threw for 353 yards and four touchdowns. This is the third time in the last four games that he's thrown for 300 plus yards and four plus passing touchdowns in a game. Um, I mean, he's this is just amazing, and you got you got to hand it to this kid. After the way he played against Duke, and you know. The, Facing uh, another defense that is one of the better ones in the country, he literally could have just laid down and said, "Okay, you know, this this is the turning point of my freshman season. People are starting to figure me out. You know, they, it, it's going to be a tough finish the rest of the way." He came back and responded with just a phenomenal performance on Saturday. Yeah, he was exceptional. And if you take away uh, another handful of drops from the receiving course, he completes more passes for yeah. more yards. Yeah. Completion percentage is a lot better. Um, was really impressed by how he responded, A, from the Duke game. I've used a lot of A, Bs, and Cs today. Maybe we should go to one, two, three. Yeah, what but is this, kindergarten? Maybe oh, it my is. Goodness. But he responded from the struggles he had against Duke. But he also didn't start great Saturday night. And you saw some more trust from Phil Longa for him to throw the ball deep and exploit one-on-one matchups, which Sam Howell thrives in because his arm talent is good enough to make good throws for our he's guys. better throwing the deep ball than he is throwing intermediate no, it, passes. It's, 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 it's shocking. And, and for some people, for some quarterbacks, that's how it works. He he, he can throw the ball deep as good as anybody in, in the country. Mahomes. And you saw that Come Saturday on, night. I make that comparison. And and so it was uh, – he's yeah. just – he's a lot of fun to watch. I, oh, he's I, an exciting quarterback. I've, I've, I've enjoyed watching him grow this year. It's been a lot of fun. It's right. going to be a lot of fun having a freshman quarterback that we get to watch for at least two more years. Exactly. It's the first time we've had this since Bren Renner. And we were big Bren Renner we guys. Were, we still – we were. We still are yeah. big Bren Renner. Yeah, but I mean, Bren Renner is one of my, one of my dudes. And we got to see him from a dude, sophomore dude, to remember, a senior. Remember last year when they were making the hires at OC, one of the guys that I brought up was potentially bringing in Bren Renner and letting him grow. And he's doing a phenomenal job down at FIU. Yeah. Um, Working under Butch Davis. But, uh, yes, I mean, so Sam was the reason they were they were in the game because he made big-time throws off the, uh, the extension of another dominant effort from Carolina running the football, which I didn't yeah. see them being that productive running the ball. I thought, I thought Virginia would neutralize our offensive line a little bit better. They look good, man. But, I mean, I, I don't care. Okay. I got really excited. I'll just use excited for this. this oh, goodness. Seeing Charlie Heck pool and just mauling guys at the second level. You, you, you took the you, – you, I was going to say, you took the words pretty much right out of my mouth. 
how bad is this team going to miss Charlie Heck next year? Because he is, dude, he's special, man. Like, I, I know that, you know, we knew he was going to be athletic because he came in as a tight end and, and, and Larry converted him. And, look, we, 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 we rip Larry a little bit on the podcast now. Now. Um, but, look, that, that was one guy. And, and, and Larry was good at this. He would find those diamonds in the rough that you just didn't think were going to be anything great and turn them into really great football players. And Charlie Heck is one of them because they they use that pull block scheme to the right side so many times, and it worked every time because Charlie Heck is really that good. Yeah, he's, he's so he good. special. He's so good in space. I have now personally, in my mind, advocated for my NFL team. I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan. Uh, We're known for great offensive line play. Please, God, no, Charlie. Uh, please, no, Charlie. For, no. for Dallas to draft him because we – We need on the Giants, buddy. We're going to need, need a left tackle. But, yeah, he's – You got Tyron Smith. You he's – uh, You got to stick with him. He's a lot of he's a lot of fun for me to watch as a guy who loves offensive line play and seeing that stuff Saturday night just mauling dudes, you know the the hog mollies up front had their way in the run game and it allowed for Javante Williams and Michael Carter and even Antonio Williams to all enjoy success in the run game. Okay, so we have to do our Javante Williams appreciation moment. He ran hard once again. Well, I mean, like yeah, yeah, yeah. he never doesn't run hard. Yeah, he, we just we like to bring that up on every podcast because he is an absolute monster and just does not go down unless he was. I mean, he went down twice with injuries the other night. Both times when he came back onto the field, still running through guys. Yeah, I and mean, that's just part of it. He, he he's a, he's the type of running back yeah. that you know he embraces the contact, so it doesn't surprise him. And he feeds off of running through tackles. And, and you can feel the offense feeds off of that because it sets the tone that, okay, we're going to establish the physicality and, you know, you, it's, you better bring a gang to get him down. And it takes three or four guys to get him down sometimes. I think Michael Carter's turned the page the last couple of weeks because we're seeing him be more consistently picking holes immediately and running, whereas he was so bad early in his career at being – Patient and the dancing. I don't mind you being patient, but once you find out where you want to go, hit the hole. And that takes time. And it takes time for young running backs. We see it a lot. I mean, if you watch high school football in depth, guys are trying to make the big play. They're not very decisive. Your best running backs, when they face a defense that can close in on them quick, they struggle. And I think we're starting to see that with Mike now as a junior, is he's deciding, okay, when I see the hole, I've got to take it. Because, I mean, you know, we, we've seen how effective he can be. Now, the only thing that I'm waiting on, we haven't seen it this year. When is that one long run for a touchdown going to come? Because they have had so many big-time runs, they just can't they can't get into the end zone on them. And they've been so close. But I love now how those two have developed. They're a, I mean, it's a beautiful change of pace with, with what they've got going on. I mean, you got Javante. And, I mean, Javante can still move. But Javante is literally a guy that picks his hole and goes immediately. Mike will, will take a little bit of time, eventually find that hole, and then runs hard. He's got a little bit better speed. I think that one-two punch that they got right now should excite Carolina fans, and I'm tell, it's, it's only going to get better because they're both coming back next year. Yeah, they're both going to be back next year, and it's going to be a staple of the offense. As it, as it we... Mac Brown wanted it to be this year. I didn't know if they would be this good running the football. I really did. Well, I think we let the fact that Javante Williams was a th- three-star, lower three-star coming out of high school sort of skew our judgment a little bit. We were saying, okay, you know, he, he showed us some things. Can he carry this over for a whole season? And, yes, I mean, let's be real. Out of the two backs, I think Javante has, has the better – overall talent. Oh yeah, this is this is one where like you don't need to, you know, if you put a lot of stock into rankings as a recruit, then you you need to reevaluate that decision. Shouldn't as a Tarheel fan, our, one of our best players in the NFL, actually maybe our best <laughs> player at the NFL level right now was a walk-on. And, walk-on. Yeah, so, and and so he's just he's a good example of what hard work will get to you. Right. And he he got an opportunity to take advantage of it, and this is going to be an, a, a, a one-two punch next year. That's going to be one of the best in the conference, one of the best in college football, mm-hmm. and is going to be really 
determining factor of what next year's team does. But, I mean, this year, the reason why Sam Howell is having a lot of success throwing the football is because they can run the ball. That's that's the reason and that they've been so successful throwing the deep ball the last two games. That run game has kept those guys, those those safeties in the box so much because Carolina has become such a threat running the football that it's opening up those one-on-one routes on the outside. And that's where Diami and, and Bo are, are, are thriving. So that's this is why we were asking Phil Longo to run the football so much. Because it will open up your passing game, which is ultimately what you want to thrive off of because you're also the quarterback's coach. But you've got to realize that running the football opens that up. I don't think that he realized that a lot early in the year. Now that he does realize it, the passing game is looking, I mean, about as lethal as it has since probably 2015. 2016, yeah, you had your moments, but that was really just Trubisky, you know, methodically moving the team down the field. He wasn't a guy that thrived off of deep balls, especially after Mac Collins got injured. Yeah, and if you remember what made Marquise Williams so effective was Elijah Hood, TJ Logan running himself, the football, himself, himself running, running, running the football, and then you're hitting play action pass, and you had a core mm-hmm. receivers that loved one on one plays on opportunities, and Marquise. Kind of like Sam was better getting the ball deep than he was getting it to the, the ten to fifteen okay, yard route. Definitely better than and, yes than the short. And that's why that yes. offense was historic. And so that's just something that Longo now is more comfortable running the football when they get behind. Because I felt like he's always felt like a offensive coordinator would be on the video game. Like I, you know, whenever I played video games, when I got down, I started throwing the thing. And the second like we would get down. It was like, well, now we got to start throwing. And you saw Saturday night, we're down 14, and we're still running the football. And it was effective, and he gave you a chance to, to <laughs> win the game late. Um, okay, we're, we're 35 minutes into this podcast, and we have not discussed Deami Brown's unbelievable performance on, on Saturday night. So we want to apologize to Deami for waiting this long. But I figured this would be how he would finish before we start turning and discussing, you know, ACC Coastal and, and, and bowl chances. Deami Brown, uh, that was that was something special on Saturday night. Six catches, 202 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, it's what we thought when we recruited him. Pretty we, much. He had this big play of ability. And Larry, some, Larry and, and, and his offensive coordinator, Chris Kapilovic, last year, somehow just weren't able to, to use it. Now, that's probably, okay, it's part partly because the quarterback play was nowhere near as good as this year. But, man, Diami, I mean, look, when we look back on it this year, both of us had, had him as a breakout player. We're going to have to brag about that. Because, we, I mean, we knew this kid was special. And, and there's a reason he's doing what he's doing. The, the thing I enjoyed the most about his success Saturday night, a lot of it was him breaking tackles. It wasn't, I mean, you know, he had the big one where he was open. But it, on some of his catches, he was breaking tackles and making plays after contact. That's that's sexy. I like that. I like him going up and getting the football as well on his third touchdown, which is something that you know we, we just haven't really seen a whole lot for, from him. You know, we saw it in the in the one with the one catch against Georgia Tech where he went up and got the football. If you want to say that he went and did that against South Carolina, I guess that was just a ridiculous catch. I mean, it, you know. But we saw him go up and take it away from a defender, you know. And someone said this, you know, if he if he can clean up the the, the drop problems that he has from time to time, and it seems like that's that's kind of an issue with all of our guys. This kid can be real special. Like did he has got the body style. He's got. I mean, he's aggressive enough when he goes up and catches the football. And as you mentioned, you know, not only. I mean, that's that's what's great about it. We've seen a lot of guys like Switzer like Daz Newsome, these smaller guys who can, when they get in space, they make defenders miss and they cause issues. This guy is tall, lengthy, and he still is a problem in the open field after he catches it. That's what makes him a scary sort of prospect when it comes to going to the NFL later on and for the next couple of years with Carolina. But, man, he, uh, I mean, look, you know, he went off, um... 202 receiving yards is just the seventh Carolina receiver to reach that number. And six catches to get to over 200 yards. Only one other 
wide receiver has done that. Can you name that other wide receiver? We actually watched the game together. Can you name the guy that had six catches to get to? He had 221 yards in the game that he played. Uh, Ryan Switzer. Wasn't Ryan Switzer. He had he had his game against Pittsburgh a few years ago, but he had uh, what I think it was 12, 13 catches, something like that. Um, no, think earlier. Think earlier. Actually, first game we probably watched together fully in depth. Couldn't tell. Jerry Boyd in two thousand ten. Good in lord! The, in the season opener against LSU. Okay, remember that one? Pretty much yeah. the one time Jeremy Boyd went nuts. The rest of the time, uh, you know, we always loved Jeremy Boyd, but you know, really his statistics weren't as as great as maybe some would have expected when you look back. But that was the other guy. So Deami Brown. I mean, look, you average thirty three point seven yards a catch. You're doing something right. So, I mean, this was great to see him get back on track because he really had just had a quiet second half of the season so far. Just really didn't do a whole lot against Virginia Tech. Of course, he got injured in that game. Didn't really get a whole lot of looks last week against Duke because he was still trying. You know, you could tell he was still a little slow. So this was awesome to see him come out and perform as well as he did uh, in this game on Saturday night. And also, his two best games of the season have come against Miami and Virginia. So, like, this guy's just, he loves the nighttime stage, right? Like, this is Deami Brown stage. So, yeah, so let's, you know, with the loss, um, you know, Carolina pretty much is eliminated from the Coastal. We're going to be brutally honest. Uh, unless, I mean, this, this is how it has to work out. Carolina has to win their last two games of the ACC season at Pittsburgh and at NC State. They have to get a loss from Virginia Tech, or, or two losses from Virginia Tech, and it cannot be a loss in the Virginia game. They're going to need Virginia Tech to beat Virginia. Uh, so with Virginia Tech, um, their schedule, I had it pulled up earlier. Let me pull it up here again. Oh, no, I'm not connected to the Internet, so I can't do that. Um, but... Uh, I know they have Georgia Tech in there, which, you know, most would look at that and say, okay, that's a win. That's a win automatically. Um, I forget who else is in there as well. I know they play Liberty at a conference, uh, but it, it, it isn't looking overly promising that there's going to be two losses there. Um, oh, is Pittsburgh in there? I think Pittsburgh is one of the teams in there as well. As for Virginia, they have to lose their last two, so they have to get beat by Georgia Tech and Virginia Tech or else uh, Carolina would, would not be able to find their way back to Charlotte. So unfortunately, it looks like the only way Carolina is going to be able to find their way back to Charlotte is if they go to the Belt Bowl. Um, but I mean, look, at this point, like, I, you know, I, I'm not going to get mad at the fan base for this, but like, I, I know a lot of people are, are, are disappointed. They shouldn't really be overly disappointed about this because this team was not expected to be in the ACC championship game year one. Um, you know, it, it, it definitely hurts because you had a chance, but I don't think this is something that this team should be getting a lot of criticism over. Yeah, no, it's it's completely, you know, overreacting or, or irrational to be like that. It sucks because you look at games that you lost in ACC play that you, you could have won. And you look at Clemson, if you maybe take that game to overtime, maybe you win. You go to the Virginia Tech game where if you have a better yeah, two-point, if. if you don't blow that game multiple times. Make a field goal. I mean, yeah, there, there's you know, so many there's, different you ones. Maybe you're yeah. in Charlotte. And then yeah. Saturday night, you got what you wanted. You got the team that you had to beat in your home building at night. You just didn't make enough plays. But Carolina is still, you know, performed at a high level. They've given us a reason to want to tune in every Saturday, yep. uh, which we couldn't say that in the last couple years. And, and so th the good thing is is that after every loss, you could still sit there and say, well, we're going in the right direction. We're still making progress as a program, and Mac Brown's going to get us where we want to go, which is to Charlotte and competing for an ACC title. So it sucks because as fans, yeah, I mean, it's why you love sports to see your teams play for championships. Right. That day's coming. As soon as next year. With no one thought this year. Has no one really thought this team was a bowl team. And if they can find a way to yeah. win at Pittsburgh or State, they're gonna they're gonna play pretty in, much. They're gonna they're gonna play in December. Pretty much. Okay, so let's discuss that really quick because that's where the focus becomes now, right? Making a bowl game, beating state. Those are your two main focuses right now. 
Um, is it possible? It's definitely possible. Uh, look, according to the FBI, for uh, which is a stat that ESPN puts together, we have no earthly idea how they how they configure these statistics. Uh, they do not have us beating Pittsburgh, um, which makes a little bit of sense. Pittsburgh's a good football team again this year. Um, the game is at Pittsburgh. It's on a Thursday night. Carolina, last two times they've gone there, it's been on a Thursday night, and they've won both games. Um, look, we're, it's really this simple. Does Carolina stand a chance to win this game? Yes. Why do they stand a chance to win this game? Pittsburgh has not beaten Carolina since they've come into the ACC. And that was with, a, you know, the last two years, teams that were, frankly, just not good at all. Um, I mean, you know, this year, this Carolina team feels like one that can go in there and, and still win that game because Pittsburgh still has a lot of questions offensively. Kenny Pickett is not a long-term solution. He's not a guy that's a superstar that's going to win you games. The biggest issue in that game, their defensive line's really good. They're going to get pressure on the quarterback. So can Carolina win what's probably going to be an ugly one against Pittsburgh? Uh, then they play Mercer. We're pretty much chalking that up as a win. Look, Mercer's 4-5 and five at, a, at the FCS level. They're not a good football team. Plain and simple. Games at home. It is senior day. It still expects to be a really good environment. Look, if you're a Toriel fan listening to this and you don't have tickets, please go. I understand that this is not your sexy game on the schedule. These guys have worked hard all year. The stadium has been filled the entire season. We've sold out every game. Why not sell out this one and finish this season with a you know a, a huge statement to everybody saying, "Look, it doesn't matter if we're playing you know Division three you know whoever state university, we're going to show up." That's you know hopefully the the fans will show out and look if there's any sort of environment in that game, Mercer is not going to have any chance. And then you go on the road to state. And look, you know, this is, I mean, can we say that this is the worst that the Wolfpack have looked in, in a little while? They have no solution at quarterback. Anybody that they put in has, you know, pretty much failed. And, you know, their, their offensive and defensive lines don't quite look as dominant as they have in past years. So I think, you know, there, there's a road to get to a bowl game. There's possibly a road to even get to 7-5 and five if Carolina can batten down the hatches for these last three weeks, fight through the injuries they have defensively and, you know, find a way to beat some teams that are, are some of the more winnable games that you've had on your schedule all season. Yeah, at Carolina, they've set themselves up for that kind of stuff. I think the bye week comes at a really good time. You get, you get a little bit more healthy, mm -hmm. and you, you get a week of practice to kind of, you know, fix some things that have you, you've been struggling with, mainly defensively, the last couple of weeks. But, look, there's no reason for Carolina to, you know, with the, with the disappointment on Saturday, you you got to rebound, you got to put it behind, you got to move forward. Yeah, the season is not over, and, and I, I still have a chance to have a have a really good. Yeah, chance. I mean, you know, you got a chance, right. like you said, you finished seven and five. That was my preseason prediction for this team. You mm -hmm. win a bowl game, all of a sudden you're eight and five, and this is a really really good year one for Mac Brown going into the recruiting trail into the offseason. Mm -hmm. and and so Carolina just needs to look at what there's still a lot in front of them. You're probably not going to make the ACC title game. That's okay. But you can win two ACC games on the road, get a lot of confidence for a, a, a young quarterback that you can go on the road and win games in conference. You've got an in-state rival that you haven't beaten in a in a long time since fifteen. Since fifteen, uh, yeah. And, and so that you know, it feel it feel really good to finally beat them, and also that you know, prove to their fan base and their head coach who made the remark about Mac Brown not having the energy to coach against them or anybody else in the offseason proved to them that, okay, yeah, he's he's still got it. Yeah, and and, and Mac Brown definitely has got it, and, and I'm pretty yeah. sure he'll make that clear the weakest state. So, look, they just need to, you know, put this behind them the best mm -hmm. way they can. You get two weeks to do it, and and look what you can still accomplish this year and, and, and go do it. So... There you go. Yeah, we'll talk about it a little bit more as we get closer. We'll start breaking down some of the bowl games that Carolina will be projected to be in as well and where you'd like to see them, some of the matchups that we could potentially see, and we'll talk about that. But we have to now get into a topic that got you fired up on Twitter the other day. And you got angry at me earlier for not coming to your defense, but uh, I, I, I thought uh, you were definitely fighting a losing battle. Uh, there, because there were many, many, many fans who decided to team up on you. There's no battle worth losing, or there's no battle, you know, there's no such thing as a losing battle if you believe in it. There we go. And I woke up Sunday morning 
I was still mad at the world for what happened Saturday night. That's a good point. As as we've we touched on this earlier in the in the episode. Logged on to the friendly twitter.com as I normally do when I first wake up. You know, there's our, the one problem right there. Friendly Twitter. That doesn't exist. You know, Go on. Our parents woke up, read the newspaper. We wake up, I read Twitter. That's a good point. Yeah. And yep. and, and I wake up and I and I start seeing Tar Heel fans that are followers of us, probably listen to the podcast. Loyal, loyal fan base. Loyal, loyal Tar Heels. Loyal to a fall, possibly. Starting saying that Sam Howell is the best quarterback in college football based on what he's done through nine games. If you put him in other systems, would not only thrive, would excel, what a Joe Burrow is doing at LSU, what Justin Fields has done at Ohio State, what Tua Tagovailoa and Trevor Lawrence have already done at Auburn and, or Alabama and Clemson, respectively. And I just, okay. I just couldn't. I couldn't let that okay, pass. Before you get too angry, we want to make this very, very clear on this podcast. We definitely are Sam Howell supporters. I've sung his. I've sung him the praises for him. Now we gave him the nickname Slinging Sammy Howell. If anybody says they gave him that nickname, that they're came liars. From us. That came from us at the game against South Carolina. We started it. There were people behind us that started calling him that too. That was all us. I've okay. been here for nine weeks praising what he's done. We just praised him earlier for a phenomenal game. And so people you started know? saying that I right. was a hater, and that's not it. Right. I I'm followed just, the kid for four years in high school, okay? Like, it, it, trust me, he knows that, you know, we, and we definitely are, are fan. You know, we, we like, we think the kid's special. We think that the kid... Okay, well now he's not special. He's gonna call him a kid, which irritates the hell out of me. He's a kid. Everybody calls him kid. I was I was more discouraged at you being the host of this podcast, the co-host of my podcast, not coming to my defense. And then here's the thing: the host of the radio show that I intern at at ESPN, the Wake Up Call, seven thirty. Uh, 7.30 a.m. ESPN, give us a listen. Sweet plug. 6 to 10. Sweet plug. Bobby uh, Rosinski yeah. woke up and sees and sees all this and didn't come to my aid either. So the two the two people that I work with on a weekly basis just left me out to dry. You're fighting a losing battle, okay? I, I'm going to tell you right here, and we're going to get into our opinions a little more, and we'll break this down just a little bit more. But here's the thing. There were already like seven or eight fans in the in the inbox, and I knew, okay, this this is gonna be this is not gonna end. There's well, no arguing with, with, with some some of these people. Well, and again, and the accounts that the accounts that did tweet this out are very, I'm okay, and and this is not a bad thing. They are Homer accounts, plain and simple. They are all in support of the Tar Heels, and that's cool. That's cool. You gotta have, every fan base has those types of accounts. But for, for us, we also take a little bit of a realistic look for, for two different reasons. We're in the journalism field. It's a little bit different for us. We can't be overly biased. Again, this show is meant to lean Carolina. This show is not meant to be fully biased towards Carolina. We, we will give you opinions. We will, we will say if this team is struggling. We did it last year. That's just how it works. But we, the other thing is... We're huge followers of college football. So we see a lot of different co- – I mean, Tar Heel fans, I know there are some. They watch the Tar Heels play, and that's it on Saturdays. They move on. They prepare for Sundays to watch the NFL. That's cool. We watch college football from the minute we wake up with game day to the minute we go to sleep with whatever Pac-12 game or if for some reason – we have to stay up even later. Hawaii's Mountain West game of the week. Yeah, it, it's, that's what we do. And so it's so just, you know. we have a we we have a different way of looking at it. And so okay, the, here's my only problem is this. Okay, you're the Batman, or you're the Robin to my Batman. You're the that's a joke. Because you're the I am definitely Batman. On you're this the podcast. I, I don't know whatever Avenger team you want to be. When I enlist you, you okay? You are. Peter Parker to my Tony Stark. That's fine. I'll take it. When I when I enlist you, I expect okay, you to again, show up. You did not and say show out. You did not say. And you never you never came to my you, defense. You didn't say just ask at 
future Tar Heel or something like that. You said that we sung his praises on the podcast, which I like. I, I, I'm pretty sure I like the tweet. Probably didn't like the tweet. Like uh, doesn't get me anywhere. But I didn't think that that was, hey, I need you in on this conversation. You know all you got to do. If you really need me in on a conversation that badly, just just tweet, just send it to me in a message. And I told I DM'd you the tweet that started the entire argument. Yeah, and I roll. I, I I think I sent back the eye roll emoji. You sent back nothing. I'm gonna be honest with you. I you no. You sent me the tweet, but I didn't at the time that you sent it to me. You had not responded. I couldn't believe you actually responded because I I was like, dude, that is definitely. I'm not gonna say that's bait because they're not trolling. They, these people really do believe this, and, it, and it's it's okay to have that opinion. It bothered me that I but, I didn't immediately respond, but I was so just like, all right. And, and this was the argument that I made that really pissed off a lot of people. Here we go. But when the facts are when the okay, facts, well, first of all, we haven't even actually wait. Did you tell them that what the tweet, what the original tweet said? Oh yeah, you did. You said that they said that he was the best college. Yes, yeah, and that you know, football. Basically, right this, is, this is how I, I made the argument. And this is how it always goes with Homer fans, whatever you want to say. Right, so this right, is a, right. this guy's the best quarterback in college football. Okay. So I'll give him a scenario. This guy lost to App State. Okay. And Virginia at home. Okay. It is a team sport. And that's, that's what they always go to. That's, we understand that's, that's in this fair. field. He turned it over. Turned it over twice against App State, including the fumble recovery for a touchdown. That if that's not there, the Tar Heels do win the game. Again, not all his fault. The offensive line missed a block there. It's it's okay. But you're, you are right. The other thing you, you like to go to, and this is your argument also with Dak in the NFL, is wins, man. Wins. Yeah, that's wins. what I told you. He's four and five. And I, and I get that it's a team game, the ultimate team game. I yeah, get and that. And again, the talent level around him. We're, okay, we're not saying that the talent level around him is as good as has. Anybody with a brain knows that. Come on. But, I, I, you know, we understand that in this the field that we are in, the quarterback's going to get all the blame when they lose and all the praise when they win. It's not fair. It's how it's how football works. And so when mm-hmm. I throw that out there, what do you, then it, you know, it just became a list of excuses. Look, Sam Howell's really freaking good. And he's going to be really, really good next year. And then the, he's going to be even better the next year. Yeah, I mean, but he's junior, not the best quarterback in college as football. As a junior, do we think that it is possible that he could get some Heisman hype, and if things go right, he could be in the conversation? Yes, there's a it has the talent. There's the going to be a chance that he could be a Heisman sleeper going into next year because Carolina is going to be probably highly thought of in the preseason. I agree. So there's going to be some love, and you've heard some guys on game day. Kirk Herbstreit's been as big a fan of what Mac Brown's been doing in Chapel Hill all year long. Huge fan of Sam Howell too. It has sung, has has echoed the praise of him. Cover two podcasts: Braden Gall, Mitch Light, two guys that I like so, a lot. They've, they've yeah. really been all over him too. And they so you know, and that's all I was just getting at was, and I, I had a fan tell me that Joe Burrow hasn't beaten anybody. Well, I didn't realize winning at Texas, beating Auburn, and beating Florida. Uh, counted as not beating anybody, but that's where we are in 2019. Yeah, let's uh, let's cut let let's stop all that right now. So, that couldn't be more wrong. But okay, no, I I mean it, it's look there's there's an argument about where where Sam is right now. He's the best freshman quarterback in college football. I would I'll, say so. I told you that the other night. You're a huge Bo Nix guy, but I think if you look at what Sam has done, and I get that he hasn't played in as big a games as as Bo has, but he played. You know, really well against Clemson. I thought. I mean, I know that the the, the statistics weren't mind blowing, but against that defense, facing them for the first time, it's tough. Bo Nix has struggled in the big games, playing simple outside of the game against Oregon, which is where he made his debut, and that's fine. I think Bo Nix is going to be a guy that will be. He will go to the NFL. He's a talented player. But yeah, I'd agree with that. I think he's the best freshman. Is there an argument that Sam Howell might be the best quarterback in the ACC going into next year? If you want to make that argument, you can. I would still lean Trevor Lawrence. But is there an argument? Okay, best quarterback in college football? I'm sorry, that's not true. Tua Tungabailoa is is better than him. Okay, that kid is about as special as it gets. He is that good. I hate to say it because I can't stand Alabama. He is about as good of a quarterback 
as I have ever seen at the college football level. The kid does not make mistakes. I'm done. I'm, I'm signing off with Burrow, all the kid. Phenomenal. I mean, you, you look at him, came over from Ohio State. Now, I mean, he if he's not the Heisman frontrunner, Tua is, it, he's, he's playing in a game where basically whoever wins that game is probably going to win the Heisman Trophy, right? Out of those two between him and, him and Tua. You've also got, you mentioned Justin Fields up there. Um, I mean, Ju- Justin, Justin Herbert from Oregon is, is a ridiculous talent as well. Guy that ha- has to receive uh, just a ton of high praises. Um, I mean, it, you know, look, they're, they're, you, know, you can debate it w- with where these guys are in their careers as well. But, I mean, remember, guys like Jake Fromm were successful their freshman season as well. Tua won a national championship. Trevor Lawrence last year was amazing, and that's the thing. That's the thing. You said he might be in the Heisman conversation. I agree, but I also wonder, you know, does Trevor Lawrence's sophomore struggles sort of give people a little hesitance about some of the guys that have been really good as true freshmen this year to say, okay, well, once they have a season worth of tape on them, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see how they adjust because teams will be able to prepare for them. But I mean, yeah, no, I I can't agree with that. I mean, he got still. I mean, just thinking of names right now: Jalen Hurts, Sam Ellinger. I mean, you you know, again, Ellinger. I think there's a better case that you, you can make with with him and Howell going back and forth. You know, on paper, who's 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 better? But I mean, there there are so many guys in college football right now that are. I mean, and and they were probably ahead of him. Even back then, but they play at elite programs too. We they, they don't get the chance to play as freshmen. Sam had to come in and play as a freshman, and that's fine. Um, I just I I'm with you. I think for me, oh you're you're two days late. For me, I would probably say comfortably he is a top twenty quarterback in college football right now. Maybe even top fifteen. And I don't think I can go higher than that. And guess what? The fact that I even get to say that is amazing because last year, our starting quarterback was probably not even top 100, if we're, if we're going to be honest. Yeah. I, I mean, that's I, the problem. It just looks, Sam's really good, but let's not, let's not blow this out of proportion and get, and get lost on the reality of the situation, which is that he's... He's not the best quarterback in college football. He can develop into that, and he very well may. Just right. not this year. No, I, I mean, I, and, and look, you could never make that argument with a freshman in my mind. No matter what, even last year with, with, with Trevor Lawrence, I don't think he was the best quarterback in college football. I'm, In my opinion, Tua was the best quarterback in college football. It's really, really hard to make that, that assumption as a freshman. And so, yeah, that's 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 where we'll leave it. Um, you know, again, we'll, we'll we'll revisit this probably over the next couple of years where he's going to rank. And I mean, at this point, I mean, he's to me, he's the clear number two in the ACC, right? It's 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 him. There's a case if Lawrence continues to struggle again next year and Howell continues to succeed, you could make him. You could say best quarterback in the ACC. But right now, you know, I have him. Top 20, top 15, that's probably where you have them as well, right? There we go. We'll leave it there. So that'll wrap up this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Of course, I want to thank uh, you guys for listening to this podcast. As always, remind you, you can go and subscribe to this podcast. Spreaker, iTunes, Google Podcast, uh, Spotify, iHeartRadio, the TuneIn app has it. Anywhere you can get your podcast has it. Of course, you can go online to the website, HeelToughBlog.com. That's where you can find the podcast as well, both podcasts. You got the Heel Tough Blog podcast tab at the top of the page, as well as the Roy's Boys podcast tab at the top of the page. Make sure you click on both of those. Give the latest editions of the podcast a listen. Um, and uh, also make sure you check out the homepage where we'll have all the news stories up there for you. Of course, with football, we've got, of course, the weekly articles that we do. We've got the stock report that just came out. The trench report is coming out as well um, for this past week. And then, of course, the recap. You can go back and look at the uh, five things that we learned for the week. Um, 
keep an eye on the site. Make sure you're keeping an eye on the site because uh, I'm going to tell you, Trenton Simpson getting real close to possibly committing. The 2024-star uh, outside linebacker who's on campus this weekend. Official visit apparently went extremely well. And uh, basically what they're hearing is that sometime over the next week or so, he's probably going to pop and uh, be another the, the 27th member of the Tar Heels 2000 and 20 class so uh, Carolina looking like they're on the verge of uh, landing another big time prospect and we'll have you Kurt we'll break down uh, everything about Trenton Simpson and of course uh, we might even throw back up that interview that we had with him from a couple of weeks ago when we went out to Mallard Creek High School uh, to scout him for uh, his game against uh, West Charlotte at the time so um, you know yeah some very interesting stuff there to keep an eye on on the website for the basketball team of course basketball season starts tomorrow believe it or not unbelievable um, so make sure that you guys are uh, keeping an eye on the site. We're going to have previews for the games uh, as well as some recaps. Uh, and then, of course, there is an, an article up there about Brandon Robinson's injury. Make sure you go and check that out, see how long he'll be out for. And uh, there will be another article that will be going up tonight uh, that we will talk about on the uh, basketball podcast. You'll have to go check that out. That's actually going to be what we're going to lead the podcast off talking about. So if you want to find out what that news story is, Make sure you guys swing by HeelToughBlog.com and check it all out. So once again, I want to thank Josh for joining me tonight. I want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, Go Tar Heels!